You're listening to Recovery Survey, the podcast that shatters stigmas around different types of addictions and takes a deep dive into spiritual principles. And I'm so grateful for that experience, man. And, and I look back on it and and I wish I hadn't been so hard-headed. I wish I hadn't been so stubborn. I wish I had got it the first time. But I had to do it my own way. You know, I had to I had to be ready to quit. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different. It is the one-year anniversary of Recovery Survey. So I want to first start off by thanking everyone that's listened, subscribed, left a rating or a review. It means a lot. All the people that have reached out on social media, I really do appreciate it. You know, this podcast started out as just an idea, just a thought, and it's really been a a big part of my recovery this past year, just with the craziness that we had in 2020 and lockdowns and isolation and and all those things that we've gone through. So I've, I've been really grateful to have this outlet and this opportunity to get to talk to different people about their recovery and just make all these connections and hear these new perspectives and ideas and and really incredible stories. So I, I truly am grateful for this platform and, and for the opportunity that I have to speak with other people in recovery. So the reason I said this episode is going to be a little bit different is on today's episode, I'm going to share my story. The primary purpose of, of the podcast is to give a platform for other people. And I feel like a lot of the listeners don't really know who I am, what I'm about. So I thought I would share my story for the one-year anniversary. I never thought that I would do that, honestly. In the beginning, I was so nervous to talk to people. I was so nervous to to share my story that I thought that I probably wouldn't do it. But after having been talking with all these different people over the past year and just getting more comfortable behind the microphone, I think that it's time for me to share my story. And hopefully it'll help somebody or somebody can relate to a piece of my story. So I'll start off by saying my name is Brett Morris. I have just over six years clean. I started using, really using in high school. You know, I I drank a few times in middle school. I think the first time I ever drank was at my aunt's house at uh, Thanksgiving, sneaking around and getting the glasses of wine off the table that had a little bit left in the bottom and and drinking those. But, you know, the first time I really started using was in high school. And it started off with drinking beers and and smoking joints and stuff. And uh, that was what my life was for a little while. You know, I was okay with, with those things. You know, I always told myself I would never try the hard stuff. I would never, you know, how us... As addicts, we have these these things that we think of all these I'll never do these things, you know, I'll never I'll never do hard drugs, I'll never shoot up, I'll never steal, I'll never prostitute myself. Like there are all the there's this whole list of things that I said that I would never do. And I was okay for the first little while just uh partying on the weekends and 
smoking a joint after work or whatever with my coworkers. But it really took a turn once I turned 18 and moved out, you know, got my own place for the first time. Had some roommates that liked to party. And uh, that's really when the uh, experimenting began. You know, I, I'd always been curious about what different drugs did, what they felt like. And really, I just wanted to to try to figure out what it was all about, you know, because there were so many people that were that were doing it, and and and, the, and in the circle that I was running with, you know, it was pretty common to uh, to do drugs. So I started out with ecstasy and Molly, and doing some of those kind of party drugs. You know, pretty quickly it turned into cocaine, and I did that for quite a while. Dabbled with heroin a little bit, but I never really liked the downers much. And I remember I was working this pizza delivery job and there was a tattoo shop a couple doors down from the pizza shop that I worked at. And a couple of the guys had come in and one of them had dropped a bag of meth on the ground by the register and didn't realize it. So after they left, I went out to the front lobby. I was, you know, doing my normal stuff, sweeping under the tables and making sure that the the lobby was clean and I found that bag by the register. And I knew what it was, even though I had never actually seen meth in person. So I picked it up and put it in my pocket. A few minutes later, the guys come back to the shop because they realize that they they lost their bag. And they wouldn't straight up say what they were looking for, but they're like, hey, we we uh, we think we dropped something. Um, you know, did, did you find anything? And it's like, no, I, I I don't know what you're talking about. So I just kind of played it off. And I remember probably 15 or 20 minutes later going into the bathroom and I didn't know a whole lot about how to take meth. I didn't have a pipe or anything with me. So I crushed it up and, and snorted a line like I've, like I've been doing with uh, the cocaine for the past six or eight months. And and that was it. I was hooked. I was off to the races. I knew that I had found what I was looking for. You know, it didn't take very long before my already unmanageable life started to really get out of control. It didn't take long before I found other people that were using what I was looking for. And uh, things really got out of control. You know, I ended up moving in to a house with a guy that was selling meth and uh, all my roommates were using and my life really took a turn for the worse you know it, it got to the point where I couldn't get out of bed without without hitting the pipe you know it got to the point where my entire life was revolving around getting high you know I'd have to get high before I went to work I'd take a break in the middle of my shift and go home and smoke and it just got to this point of of unmanageability of being out of control. So after smoking meth for probably about a year or so, I had a coworker over and he brought over some DMT. And I had done DMT a couple times before, but it was never it was never like something that I was seeking out, you know, cuz I I had found what I wanted and and I knew 
what my, I guess, like in the rehab terms, quote unquote, drug of choice was. But anyway, he brought over this DMT and, and we smoked it. And I remember having just this crazy, realistic trip where I was at my own funeral, like observing my funeral from like a third person view. And the only people that showed up were my mom, my dad, and my sister. And I remember at the end of the service, they were a little bit upset, but they weren't just devastated like I thought they would be. And they were talking about, you know, just what a piece of crap I was and how I had wasted my life and, you know, how my entire life I was just a junkie and I never did anything and never accomplished anything and that I had so much potential that I wasted. And I remember after that trip ended, just the impact of, uh, it brought this new perspective to my life. It brought this idea of like, man, what the hell am I doing with my life right now? You know, right now I'm, all I'm doing is getting high and, and, and working this pointless job and just existing, just surviving. And Honestly, that was kind of the beginning, you know, the very, very beginning of that journey towards recovery. You know, I didn't put down the meth that day, but it got me thinking, you know, it got me in that mindset of thinking about, do I really want to do this anymore? So fast forward a couple of months and I've made the decision, me and one of my roommates have decided that we want to get clean. We don't want to do this anymore. And uh, we decide we're going to move out. And I had called my sister before that and I, I broke down on the phone. I just started crying and I told her what was going on. You know, I said, I've been smoking meth. I don't know how to stop. I don't know what to do, but I want out. And she said, you can come stay with me. I got extra room in my apartment. You can set up a bed in my dining room. And you can get out of that. And so that's what I decided to do. So me and my one roommate decided we were going to move in with her. So, of course, my roommate that was the dealer at the time, I think he was paranoid about us leaving. He was afraid that we were going to turn him in or rat him out or I don't know what his thought process was. But, you know, if you've been in that state of mind, you know, you're you're paranoid. You think everything, everybody's out to get you. Everybody's a snitch. You know, I remember putting tinfoil over my windows to keep people from being able to see in my room and putting a deadbolt on my door, on my bedroom door and a peephole and you know, all kinds of crazy stuff that we do when we're high. And uh, so while we were out of the house, he changed the locks. And I remember it being just this huge thing. So I was like, man, I, I, I need to get my stuff. I'm trying to move out. And, uh, you know, he wouldn't let us in the house. So the cops end up getting called, which I'm sure he wasn't happy about. You know, because he's got a, a big stash up in his bedroom because he's selling. And, you know, there's a bunch of tweakers hanging out at the house and this and that. But, you know, eventually we got in and we're able to get our stuff out. And and I, and I moved in with my sister for a little while. 
And at this point, I hadn't found any kind of 12-step program. I, I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew that I wanted out. I knew that I didn't want to live this life anymore. But I didn't know where the help was. I didn't really know anything about 12-step. I knew I didn't have enough money to go to rehab. I didn't have insurance. I didn't want to go to my parents and, and tell them everything that was going on. Uh, so I decided to do it on my own. And I fell into that trap that I think a lot of us do, especially in the beginning, where I started substituting. You know, I put down the hard drugs, but I went back to alcohol just to try to fill that void, you know, try to help ease the pain. And that quickly got out of control. I can't remember how long I, I was at my sister's house, but it couldn't have been more than two or three months and, you know, started downing entire bottles of whiskey and just still completely out of control, you know. I'd moved to a different pizza shop that was down the street, one of the competitors that was paying a little bit more and they were a little bit busier, so I was making a little bit more money in tips. And I felt like I was finally kind of getting my life together, even though I was constantly drinking. I remember at that job, since I had decided not to, to use meth anymore and, and just, just alcohol, I remember I would stash a six-pack in the center console of my truck, and I'd be making deliveries, and I'd be drinking on the way to deliveries and drinking when I got back from deliveries and, and it just got to this point where it was out of control. And so February of 2014, it was actually Super Bowl Sunday. One of the local bars that I frequented was uh, going out of business. They were closing. And so that was going to be their last day that they were open. So of course I had to, go in there before work and see all my buddies and uh the bartender was taking bottles off the off the shelf and behind the bar and, and handing them out to regulars because they were just trying to get rid of their inventory because it was the last day and I remember just drinking an incredible amount. I can't even remember now how much it was, but doing that being at the bar for a couple, two, three hours, and, and then going into work and continuing to drink. And it was Super Bowl Sunday, so every delivery you went on, they would open the door and they'd offer you a beer or a shot or this or that. And I just remember as the night went on, it, it just got foggier. And and at no point did I think, man, I should stop drinking. I should uh, I should sober up a little bit since I'm driving constantly so i went on on my lunch break quote unquote lunch break i think it was 9 30 or 10 o'clock at night but it was you know halfway through my shift and instead of going to get something to eat i decided to continue to drink i went and went to a friend's house and drank a bunch more you know and i was heading back to work i blacked out while i was driving and it's really foggy, it's really hard to remember, but I was kind of in and out of consciousness, and I sideswiped three or four parked cars, and 
ended up driving through somebody's front yard, drove through their fence, and ended up hitting their house. And uh, I knew at that point that there was no way I was going to get out of this. You know, I had had close calls in the past. I, uh, you know, just in the past few weeks before that event, you know, I had driven over medians and I think I clipped a tree and there were plenty of events where I should have gotten in trouble. And, uh, you know, when that happened, I knew like, this is it. There's no getting out of this. And I just remember the, the cops showing up and the first officer on the scene was starting to do the field sobriety tests and all that stuff. And I was like, man, I'm, I'm drunk. Like, I don't, I'm not going to pass any of these tests. Like, just, just take me to jail, man. You know, looking back at it now, eight years later, I'm so grateful that I went to jail. That was the first time in, in years that I had ever gone without any kind of mood-altering, mind-changing substance. And it was kind of a wake-up call, you know? It was kind of the second step in my progression of of finding recovery. You know, the first one was was that trip where I saw my own funeral and then and then ended up in jail and, and and being clear-headed for a week or so. Like, that was kind of the beginning of it. I end up getting out of jail. My parents come and pick me up. Uh, and they let me move back in with them. And one of the stipulations for my probation was that I attend 12-step meetings. And I'd never been to a 12-step meeting before. And the ideas that I had about what a 12-step meeting was were all based on things that I had seen in movies and on TV. And I definitely went in with the wrong mindset. You know, I wanted to go in and and prove to everybody how big and bad I was and look at how much I used and, you know, I did this and that and, and, and thinking it was like a competition. You know, I still hadn't gotten to that point of honesty, that self-honesty that that we talk about in in the steps. So I attended 12-step meetings for about two years, and I still had that same mindset that I came in with. You know, I still had the idea that I could drink a little bit. As long as I avoided the hard drugs, like, I would be okay. You know, I, I cut back on the drinking and I felt like I was doing all right. I remember going with some coworkers to a football game uh, the day after Christmas. And we did the whole tailgating thing. And I just got absolutely ripped. And I remember going home to my parents' house and they knew I was drunk, I think. I told him I was tired and I just wanted to lay down, but I was plastered. And I went to a meeting that next day and, and one of the guys pulled me aside and he's just like, man, what are you doing? Like, you've been given this opportunity to get clean and you just continue to go out time and time and time again. And if you don't do something different, man, we're going to be attending your funeral. And when he said that, I had a flashback to that, that DMT trip, you know, and remembering all the, the, my parents 
being at the funeral and, and how disappointed everybody was and how I had completely wasted my life. And that was it. Like that was for whatever reason, like that, that event, it, it flipped a switch in my head and, and I had finally had enough. So I dropped the, the guy that I had at the time as my sponsor. Cause I wasn't really using him and I didn't feel like we had really connected. And, you know, I, I had kind of half-assed on steps one and two, but hadn't really done them. You know, I felt like I was just doing homework. I just put down the answers that I thought I was supposed to put down. And and so I got a new sponsor and we started doing some step work and, and I, I wasn't using, you know, I didn't have that crutch anymore. And my life started to change. And I'm so grateful for that experience, man. And, and I look back on it and, and I wish I hadn't been so hard headed. I wish I hadn't been so stubborn. I wish I had got it the first time. But I had to do it my own way. You know, I had to I had to be ready to quit. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of support people struggle with when they see their their loved ones struggling with addiction is they just want them to stop and they don't realize that that we have to get to that point where we want to stop. You know, I look at my life now and and I'm so grateful for, for where I'm at. You know, I have a career that I enjoy. I got married to the love of my life where at the time of, of this episode coming out, we will have just celebrated our two-year anniversary. Just had a little baby girl named Rin. And, you know, my life today is just so wonderful, so amazing. Like, that's not to say that every day is great. That's not to say that I don't go through hard times, that I haven't had loss and struggles and things like that. But my life today is amazing. And I'm so grateful for this way of life. I'm so grateful that I don't have to pick up a drug or a drink to get through the day, you know, and, and get back into that cycle of, of pain and misery and all the things that addiction brings. You know, I just want to thank everyone that's listened to this episode, listened to me ramble on about my story. And, uh, you know, I want to let everyone know that it's possible. Recovery is possible. So if you're struggling, if you know someone that's struggling, you know, if you need help, reach out for help. If you need to vent about something, vent about it. You know, my my DMs are open on any platform. I'm willing to talk to anybody that needs help or that, that knows someone that needs help, you know. Man, what a crazy journey this last year has been with, with the podcast. You know, I was looking up the other day and it's been played in, I think, 52 different countries. And and that, to me, is amazing, you know. I'm just another guy in recovery. I have a laptop and a microphone, and I just want to give back. And I want to, I want to help spread the message of recovery. And I'm so grateful for everyone that's been a part of this journey so far. You know, even if you're, even if you just listen to one episode, you know, you're part of this. And I'm just, I'm so grateful. It's hard to put it into words, just the gratitude that I have for the podcast, for the recovery community that I've become a part of online. And man, it, it's it's been crazy. So thank you for listening. Thank you for the support. 
I really do appreciate it. It does. It means a lot. It really does. So thank you. You've been listening to Recovery Survey. If you got anything out of today's episode, I'd ask you to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us at recoverysurvey.com. You can listen to all of our episodes on the website as well as connect with us on social media where you can get previews for upcoming episodes.